Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, good morning, everyone. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, where we're going to continue on in our study of the letter of Paul that he wrote to this young church in Colossae. It was a growing church, a church in many ways similar to our own right here. For example, the church of Colossae had been planted some five years at the time this letter arrived in their hands. And I get to praise the Lord this morning and tell you that in six weeks we celebrate five years as a church after being planted here in Eagle, Idaho. Last week, we heard Paul's warning of how to be prepared to stand against the wolves, the false teachers that had already made their way into this young and uh, fairly new church there in Greece. The apostle gave the Colossian believers a, a warning that challenged them to remain strong in their faith, and he concludes by telling them to share the letter with the believers over in the church of Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was less than 50 miles away from Colossae and uh, not far from them, and they truly were sister churches. Paul's letters, of course, they didn't have a Bible like you and I have today. We're blessed to have what we have in our hands. I mean, that's, uh, it, it, it's treasured to be able to hold the Word of God. All those writings and all those letters are all in one source, and, and now you even have it on your phone, wherever you are. You can pull up a verse. It's pretty amazing. Back then, what they did is they traded letters. And so, uh, basically, Paul tells them, when you guys have preached through this, then uh, you go ahead and send it on to Laodicea. They're going to need it over there as well. And as we continue on in verse 8, Paul continues his warning by telling them to be careful about being led astray as captives to false doctrines that were already floating through the church. Let's begin reading Today in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you. Now that word cheat, uh, you know, is translated cheat, and that's a good translation, but it can also mean uh, to be uh, taken captive or prisoner. So don't let anyone take you captive or prisoner or cheat you um, through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. He's saying, be careful of this. Interesting to note here, most cults and false prophets pursue untrained Christians because they've already had or made a a profession of faith in God. They're susceptible to the twisting of Scripture And they're sometimes easy targets for the heresies of these false teachers. Look out for these heretics that that teach the prosperity gospel in particular right now. It's a popular one. Uh, You know, you turn your television on, uh, you know, after 10 o'clock at night, you can easily spot them. The false teachers teaching that always have weird hair. Just look for the weird hair and you go, whoa, okay, you know, that, a light ought to go off in your head and, and you know, be careful. <laughs> 10 o'clock, weird hair, heresy. 
Look out. <laughs> now, they're the ones that are spending, by the way, tens of millions of dollars on jets and, and houses and you know, this ridiculous stuff. And uh, in fact, one um, uh, a lady shared with me this week, uh, well-known, I won't name names here, but uh, he actually said that um, the reason Jesus Christ hasn't come back is because you people haven't given enough to his ministry. And that if you'll just give more to his ministry, then he'll come back. And uh, boy, if I was standing next to him, I wouldn't be, because there's a bolt of lightning. You know, I'd be concerned, what are you talking about? Where did you get this from Scripture? And uh, wow, well, I don't want to go down that road. I already went too far. Remember I said last week that the easiest way to detect a counterfeit bill is to be familiar with the authentic one. We can't possibly know all the different, uh, you know, false teachings and heresy out there. And uh, I will tell you that I do spend some time in that arena because I want to be able to talk with someone that's maybe caught up in that. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I'm going to spend a lot of time with the authentic Word of God that I know it so well that when one of these things come by, I can go, no, no, no. That's heresy right there. That's not in the Word. God didn't say that. In fact, he said the opposite. You, know, you ought to be able to, to recognize it when you see it. You want to become uh, able to, to recognize a, a false prophet in his Word? Then uh, you want to become intimately familiar with God's truth as revealed in his Word. Read your Bible often this is, so that you know the Word of God. You start putting it. It flushes out you know, what shouldn't be there in your mind and, and replaces it with the pureness and truth of God's Word. Read your Bibles often. Meditate on what you've read. Meditation, is, it means to chew on it, to just keep chewing on it and, and thinking about it and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal what it is he's, he, he, wanted, he wants me to know right there. So meditate on it. Come to church regularly. Listen and take notes intently. See, the writer of Hebrews was directed to write, don't fail to come together as in the manner of some are doing already, especially as the day approaches. And we're in that, I believe firmly, we're in those days. I'm no longer making plans for 10 years. Uh, you know, I, I, I refuse to go to that. I'm, I'm now planning for the next five years. I think Jesus is coming back soon. Of course, he could come back before I finish this sentence. If, if he wants to, he will. If the Father sends him. But you know what? I'm not looking too far down the road. And it, it's so amazing. You come to church, you rub off on each other. You know, one Sunday I might come and I, you know, I'm frustrated or, or a little down, and, and you folks encourage me like you just did. And then, and then on another Sunday, hopefully I encourage you, and, and uh, you need prayer, and I'm going to pray for you. And that's what we do. That's why God told us, don't start wandering off right before I come back. Things are going to get crazy. Now's not the time to go wandering off downstream. Now's the time to, to press into each other, press into God's Word, to know it, to live it. And it's like fresh bread every morning. Spend time alone with the Lord. Read and pray and then put into practice what you've learned and what you've just read. Otherwise, we just become really smart sinners, right? I mean, if we're, all, we're going to read the Bible and we'll not do it, what's the point? So we got to put it into practice. False teachers will add to God's word. 
That's where you, you, can, you, can, you can recognize a lie right away because they'll start adding to God's word. Uh, they, they might say, yes, God is good. Oh, absolutely, I'm with you right there. God is good. But if you walk with them long enough, you'll start hearing heresy. And when I think of them, uh, some of them might tell you that uh, you can become a god. If you only attain and aspire and, and you, you, know, you do these 47 things or whatever they are, that you can become a god of your own universe too. Of course, that's heresy. We ought to recognize that one easily. Um, and, and oftentimes, usually, they won't tell you things like that straight off. They want you to come in the door a little deeper before you get to know those things. Uh, some teach baptism regeneration, a false doctrine of baptism, uh, that baptism is required to be saved. It's not. And I'm tempted to chase that rabbit, and I will just a little further. Um, you know, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized, and yet Jesus said today, you're going to be with me in paradise. It's not a requirement of salvation, but man wants to put it there as one of those, you know, check marks that they need to make to, uh, to attain salvation. Or that God was once a man. That, that heresy is out there pretty prominently. Here's another one in Idaho uh, that teaches Jesus is the product of God having intimate relationship with um, Mother God. Um, which is a heresy uh, in itself. And um, another false religion teaches that Jesus was a created angel originally, and he attained to, uh, to deity eventually. Again, in direct contrast to what the Bible tells us, if you know your Bible, you're going to recognize those things right off. And of course, these lies are not taught up front, as I said uh, so many times. It's the uh, new Christian or the new believer that goes, Oh, okay, and, and get sucked into something like this. Listen, stay in the Word. Know it, and then go out and live it. Paul then moves on to the traditions of men. He, he warns about those as well. The word for tradition here also means that which is handed down from one person to another, of course. Now, there's nothing wrong with traditions. We have church traditions that we do here. Uh, so long as you know that they're rooted in God's Word, not man's opinion or imaginations. Early on in my faith, I decided to visit a Sunday school class, and I wanted more of the Word, and I was wearing a, um, well, not these, but black jeans and, um, and a pullover, uh, what they, uh, like a golf shirt. And, have, and uh, I thought that was fine, and I walked in, and then the, the uh, teacher um, taught that day on uh, giving God your best. And he said, every one of us ought to be wearing a suit and tie because that's your best. And, and of course, you know, here I am sitting in, in the middle of 100 people and I felt so embarrassed suddenly that I had, oh, my, I'm somehow displeasing God with wearing this shirt and this, these pants. And I, I'm sure I was bright red by the time this lesson was over. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I felt so ashamed and I, I never went back. Thank God it, it didn't change my decision to follow Christ. Later on, I discovered that um, this was man's dis <laughs> uh, tradition. In many churches, they elevate that. It's not in the Word of God. God accepts us just as we are, and we come and we follow Him just as we are. He takes us right where we are and, uh, and takes us to where we've always wanted to be and didn't know it. Paul moves on to verse 9, and speaking of Jesus here, why would we want to even follow one of these false teachers and empty traditions? Verse 9, for in him, uh, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. 
Now, to the false teachers of Paul's day, the, the fullness that they're talking about meant to attain. You had to work to get there. Yes, Jesus did a good thing. We're not going to deny that. He was good. But listen, let me tell you, you got to also worship the angels because they're really something. We got to, you know, we got to do that. And then, and then the law, you got to still practice to try to, you got to try to keep the law too. And they were trying to bring all this in. They wanted to just put this all together in some big, you know, conglomeration and somehow it was going to work. And, um, and, and this, and of course they, they would, uh, the Greeks love philosophy. And uh, so they pursued men's, you know, wisdom and knowledge. And that needed to be brought in, they said, as well and, and obeyed. But Paul used the same word for fullness. He did this a lot of times. He would take their own words and use them, but he would use them in truth. And so he talks about the fullness being in Jesus Christ, embodied in the, in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful song that we just sang. Love that the whole time. It's like Nicole reads my email or something. I don't know how she comes up with these songs. But uh, love it. Oh, uh, and he says this fullness is in all knowledge and wisdom and truth and reconciliation of sin and all satisfaction is completely wound up in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Man can't add to this. Man, what, what are we going to write in the Bible? Our opinion? No. God's, all that we look for, all that we desire, all that we pursue in life is all written in the Word of God. And in Jesus, in His person dwells, the fullness of the Trinity. You see, all these false teachers called Gnostics, all, a.k.a. also known as uh, Gnostics, believed that all matter, including flesh, was sinful. Therefore, they taught that Jesus didn't have a flesh body, a body made of flesh. Jesus was actually um, a spirit, they said. He, he wasn't man because anything with sin on, or, uh, skin on had to be sin, and he couldn't be sin. So he's not really a person. He's not a human He's not man. He just came down um, as a spirit and some a hologram. I don't know. But uh, this is what they... You know, we know that Jesus was born of a virgin. We know that he had an earthly body like yours and mine. We know that he hungered at times. We know that he got tired at times. And we know that when he went to the cross, his body was beaten for us. We know that his body was hung on a cross. We know that he bled and he died. He had a human body, and he has a body of flesh even now, although it is a glorified body. The disciples knew this. They had seen him. They had touched him after the resurrection. Jesus said, Thomas, put your hand in my side and believe. He had a flesh, a body made of flesh. He's the first fruit and one day, if you've received salvation like I have, you're going to get to heaven. Now, people in heaven right now have a spirit uh, body. They, that, that is true. Uh, the, the people that have gone before us, they're in heaven right now waiting for us to come there. And they're spirits. But they, at the time of the resurrection, when Jesus calls us home, when the rapture happens, whether you're alive or dead, and, uh, dead Christ is going to gather us all up in heaven, and we're going to get a, a, a physical body, a fleshly, eternal body just like Jesus, body by Jesus. You know, don't we all want that? And the older I get, the more I want that. <laughs> uh, in Jesus, fully God and fully man, it, he, he makes it possible through his blood that was shed on a cross that we might come to know him and to be forgiven of our sins. 
In the glorious, what I call the glorious exchange, Jesus took his robe of righteousness and we take our robe of sin and we made a switch. He says, give me that robe that you've got and I'll give you my righteousness and we'll swap. He did that with each and every one of us. And then he went to the cross wearing our shame and guilt and our sin. And that's what was crucified that day. That's why the father turned away from him because he can't look upon sin. And so he turned away from Jesus and he crucified our sins so that we might be the righteousness of Christ. Fully forgiven and acceptable by God. The word fullness is a statement of both a past and present state of being, but it's also an infinite reality that continues on here. Paul, you look at that Greek word, uh, so this is the way we'd say it. The fullness that dwells in Jesus has dwelt in Jesus. It dwells in him now at the time of the writing, or even our time, and will always dwell throughout all eternity. The fullness of the Father and the Spirit are in Jesus Christ, all three of them. We don't need to look anywhere else. We can't add anything. We can't take anything away. Jesus Christ did this, and in all the fullness dwells in him. And verse 10, and you, we, are complete in him, Jesus, who is the head of all principality and power. There is nothing on this planet, there's nothing created or uncreated, I mean, in, in, in heaven, that isn't controlled by Jesus Christ. All the fullness is in him who is the head of all principality and power. Why? Because Christ, through the Holy Spirit, dwells in us once we've surrendered our lives to him. Jesus is enough. That's the name of this study. He is enough. We don't have to look uh, extra biblical. We don't have to go out into the world looking for other things for satisfaction. He's enough. We find that satisfaction in him, and nothing can be added or subtracted to who he is or what he's done. And when he proclaimed on the cross, it is finished, he meant exactly that. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And one day, every man, woman, and created being below the earth and above the earth are going to kneel and proclaim just that to the glory of the Father. One day, we're all going to cry out that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, Paul moves on to inform true believers of four awesome realities. And if you'd like to take notes, I encourage you to do so. Put roots down deeper. Study this later on, as Pastor Matt talked about. Four awesome realities for Christ followers. Here's reality number one. We are set apart for God. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you've been set apart for God. Verse 11, in Him... Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with his people. It represented that they were a people set apart to him for him and his purpose. Every obedient male Jewish baby boy was circumcised on the eighth day as a way of being identified and set apart for God's work and his calling. 
And when the nation would turn from God, there was a a spiritual uh, uh, circumcision as well. When the nation would turn away, and all you have to do is is go to the book of Judges and read how they would, uh, you know, a generation would follow Christ, but then the next generation wouldn't. And it was like a roller coaster ride for centuries. And and God would call them, uh, and he would say, circumcise your hearts. Signified, cut out this sin. Stop being disobedient to me. And then he would call them to return with a heart that was flesh and that was for him. It is this circumcision that happens when a person repents and chooses to be identified with Christ. And here's what it is. Uh, uh, Here's how you come to Christ. You were going your direction and I was going my direction. But at some point, the Holy Spirit just, someone um, spoke a word to me. I had been in church. I knew kind of how it went. I knew what, what Christians believed, but I never accepted Christ, made it from, I thought, hey, I must be grandfathered in. I mean, my parents are Christians. I must be. So I just believed that that's how it worked. And then one day, God brought me to my knees with a wave that I never saw coming, and it knocked me flat on my back. And what I sensed from him, he was saying, look, you're, gonna, you're not going to ride this fence anymore. Either get on the other side or you come with me, but this is not pleasing to me. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christ follower. And I knew it. I knew I was playing a game with him. I thought later in life I'd give him my life after, after I had all the fun I wanted to have in my, you know, racing motorcycles and pursuing other things. But God said, no. And in that moment, I just cried out. I knew I was a fraud, and I said, God, take my life. I don't want to go that direction anymore. I repented. Repentance means this, to to change direction. But it also means to change your mind about something. And I did both. I I, I decided I wasn't going to pursue the world anymore. I decided that I I was going to look at God differently, that I wanted him to be in charge of my life because I'd made a mess of it. And so I repented and I gave him my life. And that's what that looks like. A circumcision that began in my mind went to my heart and I gave him my heart. And if you haven't done that, you're not a Christian. If you think that coming to church is going to make you a Christian, it can can reveal the gospel to you, but there needs to be a, a moment of repentance in your life. I don't want anyone to get this wrong because Becoming a Christian, I mean, you're, you're no more a Christian if you come to church than, than you're a car when you stand in a garage, we, we talked about a few weeks ago. To become a Christian means to repent and to give your life to Christ, it means to surrender to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He died and bled for your sin, and it can apply to you, but you have to reach out and accept that gift. So reality number one, we are set apart for God when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Here's reality number two. We are made alive in, in Jesus. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now see, when you're, when you're, before we were, we were dead in our trespasses. We were in the cemetery of life. 
But when you come to Christ, he makes you alive again. And if you don't, uh, you know, if we die before he comes back in the, you know, to rapture us home, if we die first, yeah, we go into the cemetery, but we go through the cemetery and right into his presence. Death is only a shadow to you and I. And that's a promise that he makes. It's the perfect picture of what we witness in baptism. We just had a, a tremendous baptism day where some 14 people were baptized. It's awesome to watch this happen. You know, a baptism has two meanings in the New Testament, a, a literal one where you're baptized in the water and uh, a spiritual meaning, uh, and a spiritual meaning which, like circumcision does, uh, one being of a physical cutting of the child outwardly, this cir- circumcision, of course, and the other being a spiritual circumcision of the heart inwardly, the cutting away of, of, of our pride and our arrogance, wanting to follow Christ. We give him uh, our hearts. Same thing with baptism. One thing is um, one being the actual physical representation of something that's already taken place. Baptism cannot save you. It's just an outward sign of an inward reality that has already taken place. And then there's a spiritual representation, of course, of Jesus dying for our sins. That's being plunged under the water and, then, and being buried in a tomb of death and then being raised back to life in Christ. That's the significance of coming out of the water, your new creation. And the Greek word here used for um, baptism is baptismati which literally translates to be immersed underwater or to be plunged underwater. And we see this numerous times in Scripture. And uh, every now and again, someone asks me and says, hey, I was sprinkled as a, as a baby. Does that count? And I respectfully, kindly, and with all love tell them it doesn't. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.